I liked those penguins, didn't you? That was, that was good. I don't know if I could uh, walk like that, but... Well, good morning. I count it a real privilege to be able to return to Al again, and especially to First Baptist Church and share with you this morning. Those of you that knew me back in the 60s and 70s, I know what you're thinking. My, you've changed. You have to remember, it's been over 45 years, so cut me a little slack, all right? And I will share this with you, some of you have changed. Okay, some of you have changed as well. Well, I grew up in Allegan, and I count that a privilege. I share with folk that I came from a, a small town but had the blessing of being able to grow up in a church that preached the word, shared the word, taught the word, and was very instrumental in my spiritual journey. And uh, the, of course, growing up in Christ happened in that church downtown. How many of you attended the church downtown? Oh, good group this morning, all right. Well, again, I, I praise the Lord for my church experience here at First Baptist. I actually came to know Christ through the ministry of Uncle Bob Sigler. So I know I'm putting myself in a whole different air. How many of you knew or had heard of Uncle Bob Sigler? Okay, a few of you. He would come and share with our children's church ministry in the basement there of the downtown campus church. And one particular Sunday morning, he brought out the flannel graph. I know, dating myself again. Uh, some of you don't. Flannel graph, what in the world is a flannel graph? Well, you'll have to ask some of those that raise their hand. But that particular morning, he shared on the flannel graph about heaven and hell. And I came under conviction. I remember going home, asking my mom, how do I have this certainty that I can be sure that I am going to heaven? And there in the bedroom of our home, my mom actually asked if I wanted to receive Christ, and I prayed that prayer and received Christ as my personal Savior. I also was privileged to be able to do a summer internship while I was attending what is now Cornerstone University and came back and had the privilege of being able to work with Pastor Mayhew and Pastor Martin, and some of you obviously remember them as well. Deb and I were married in what was then a fairly new auditorium in the downtown campus in 1975. She's back there hiding, wave, hon. I would have her stand, but she wouldn't feed me the rest of the day if I did that, so we won't do that. But this is my first visit to this campus, and I understand, I think you came here about 2001, is that correct? Over 20, you have a beautiful building, a beautiful place. And uh, God has blessed you with that, so I know you uh, give thanks for that as well. So after uh, 44 years of ministry, vocational ministry, uh, Deb and I retired from our church in Cadillac, Michigan. And uh, we moved to Rockford, Michigan, so that we could be closer to children and grandchildren. God has blessed us with 10 grandchildren. So we are involved in their lives, either taking care of them, going to their school activities and events, and we count that a real privilege to be able to do that. 
In uh, 2021, I actually went back to a church that I had pastored in Kentwood and did an interim for them as their pastor had left rather quickly, and so I spent 10 months doing that. And then for the last year, Deb and I are ministering at Focus on the Family Retreat Center, Marriage Retreat Center, in Greenville, Michigan. And we enjoy that thoroughly. It's something that we can do together. And uh, so we go out on an average of about once a month, spend uh, the whole week there. We are the host and hostesses there. We, in fact, are the only staff that are there 24-7 for that entire week. We are tired at the end of the week, but it's been uh, just a blessing for us to be able to be involved in that ministry. So that gives you a little bit of an update as to where I am. And uh, as I shared with you, I grew up in this church. Tony Morgan and I were the best of friends. If you want any stories on Tony, see me later, all right? I have some. But I have to be careful because he's pointing at me saying he could tell some stories as well. A little sidebar here. If you've ever watched uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, did, can I mention that here at church? Okay. Um, so Everybody Loves Raymond, they have the, the, the big spoon and the big fork on the wall. If you saw that episode where they fought over that, you know, like, you know, take it down. No, I can't. Well, uh, Tony's mom had the big fork and the big spoon. And there were three of us teenage guys, I think in the house by ourselves, or their folks had gone, and somebody knocked that fork down. I don't think it was me, was it Tony? We don't remember back that far. But we knocked that fork down and broke off one of the tongs of the fork. And so we spent the rest of the weekend trying to glue that back on, put it back on the wall just like it should be. So uh, that's one story I'll, I'll tell about Tony, all right? Well, through my years here at uh, First Baptist Church, I had the opportunity to be able to hear hundreds upon hundreds of stories and lessons and sermons from God's Word. I would like to tell you that in that time of hearing all those messages and teaching times that I always listened intently and uh, applied all those truths from the scriptures to my life. But as a young person, that didn't always happen. But I do remember when I was in eighth grade that our youth group from First Baptist traveled from Allegan to attend a large youth rally held in downtown Grand Rapids on a Friday and Saturday night. The music and the teaching was geared for teens, and there was a spiritual electricity, if you might, at the rally where I think there was a couple of thousand teens in attendance. By Saturday night, something happened. Yes, I, I was a Christian. I had trusted in Christ probably when I was six or seven years old. But at that youth rally, God did a stirring in my heart. And so during the invitation on Saturday night, I walked down the aisle of that huge auditorium and made a decision to follow Christ with my whole heart. Did I do that fully the rest of my life? Of course not, but... I do remember making that heartfelt decision for Christ at that youth rally. So I have a question for all of us this morning. And the question is simply this. 
How long has it been since you and I had what we would perhaps call a spiritual stirring in our heart? How long has it been? Because without realizing it, we can go on day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and perhaps not have really anything happen in our hearts, particularly spiritually. So this morning we're going to look at a passage in God's Word where an unbelievable number of people had a stirring of their hearts. But before we do that, I want to do a little survey. Do you, do you ever do surveys here? Does your pastor ever? I, by the way, I know Nathan Smith, and uh, we've had the opportunity to be able to pastor near each other for a while before I went to uh, Cadillac. And um, so I just, I appreciate Nathan a lot. In fact, knowing that I was coming here to teach, I went online and heard him teach and share with you. And I'll talk a little bit about that a little later. But in the Old Testament is a small book that is part of what we refer to as the minor prophets. And it's simply spelled like this, H-A-G-G-A-I. Now here's my survey. How many of you would pronounce it Haggai? Raise your hand. Pronounce it Haggai. Okay. How many of you would pronounce it Haggai? Oh, all right. I, I did this one other time, and it was about like this, 50-50. Both pronunciations are correct. Now, I grew up pronouncing it Haggai, so that's how I'm going to refer to it this morning. So Haggai is a small book in what we refer to as the Minor Prophets, near the end of the Old Testament. So I want to invite you this morning, if you would, to take out your Bibles or whatever you have, phones or tablets, and turn to Haggai, if you would. And before we actually read Haggai chapter 1, I want to set the stage for this text, if I might, this morning. The destruction, and all of you know about the, the building of the glorious temple in Jerusalem, but because of the Jewish people's unfaithfulness and disobedience, God allowed that glorious temple to be destroyed. And it was destroyed by the Babylonian armies around 587 B.C. And it's sad because this really marked the end of a special time in Jewish history. A special time in their, in their social life, but of course in their religious life as well. But let's skip ahead. Fifty years later, in 536 B.C., the Persian emperor Cyrus had issued a decree permitting all the Jewish exiles that were living in Babylon. He issued this decree saying those that wanted to could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Haggai was also joined by another prophet named Zechariah, who also preached revival and preached change and preached action at about the same time that Haggai was on the scene as well. Interestingly, the book of Ezra records the original zeal of this Jewish remnant that left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem. It wasn't just a small number of people that went back to rebuild the temple, 
by all accounts, there was probably 50,000 Jewish people that returned and either settled in Jerusalem or near Jerusalem with this goal in mind, to restore the temple. They cleared the temple court of all the rubble, and they immediately set up the altar of burnt offering. And the reason they did that was that now they could, on a regular basis, on even a daily basis, go back to worshiping God as they offered their sacrifices. By year two of their return, they had actually rebuilt the foundation of the temple. And things were moving along well. It looked like that perhaps this rebuilding of the temple would be able to be finished in just a few years. This particular Jewish remnant were, were distinguished by their special devotion to the Lord and their commitment to his house. I wish I could share with you that that story continued on a good vein, but it did not. Because something happened. You see, the book of Haggai was written by the prophet of the same name who understood that he was bringing a special message from God to the children of Israel, to the Jewish people. And the book of Haggai, in fact, records four messages that Haggai brought to the Jews as a messenger for God. And he shared this with them 16 years later after the work of the temple had stopped. So they had gone with all this zeal. They went back. They had permission from the Babylonians to go back and restore the temple. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so they did that. The first year things went well. They established the altar once again. Sacrifices were being offered. People were worshiping God. The second year, they built the foundation. Everything looked like it was going well, and then they stopped. And for the next 15, 16 years, nothing happened on the temple, on the rebuild. Each of those special messages, or we might even refer to them as many sermons that the prophet Haggai brought to the Jewish people, they, all of them were introduced by these words. This is what the Lord Almighty says. So now, with your copy of God's Word, if you've turned and found Haggai chapter 1, let me read that chapter for you this morning. Or you can just simply listen. I'm reading from the New International Version. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse that has holes in it. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Wow. <laughs> they had let the work fall apart. And can you imagine for 15, 16 years, they basically just forgot or chose to forget about this special work that they had been called to. And so in our text, we see this exhortation from Haggai challenging the Jewish remnant to return to the work of rebuilding the temple. So again, let's kind of talk a little bit about the status of God's house at this point. And again, after laying the foundation of the temple, something happened, the work ceased, the restoration work that had begun on the temple fell into disarray and disgrace. And consequently, what happened, the people returned to their regular lives. They returned to their private affairs. They gradually became used to even worshiping in the ruins of the temple. And the years went by, and the people got caught up in their own pursuits and they let the work for which they specifically had come back to Jerusalem to accomplish, they let it slide, and apathy set in. Folks, I think there are some Christians today that are a lot like the Jews who returned to Jerusalem with very good intentions. When that 50,000 people came from Babylon to Jerusalem, with every intention of their heart, with good purposes in mind, they came back to rebuild the temple. They had not turned their backs on God, but in the past, they had been more zealous for God. And I think sometimes in our churches, we find Christians with the same type of attitudes. Life got busy, or the pursuit of success became very important or materialism crept in, or COVID happened. 
You see, other things besides God's kingdom and his great commission became a greater priority. And sadly, some Christians today have let the Lord and the preeminence of Christ slide in our lives. In verse 8 of our text, Haggai tells the people that they are what? That they are to go and build the house. You see, the people received a wake-up call from God. Kind of a sidebar question. Have you ever received a wake-up call from God? I have a couple of times in my life. Perhaps there was an ongoing sin in your life, or maybe spiritual apathy had developed, or you just have to say there's been a distance between God and myself. I don't even know why. And then God used his word, or his spirit, or perhaps even another believer, or even circumstances to get your attention. And for the Jewish remnant, God used a strong messenger that didn't mince words. I mean, Haggai spoke the truth and he spoke it with force and he didn't care whether the people liked him or they didn't like him. And so this morning, we're going to look at three admonitions from Haggai that he gave to encourage the people, that he gave to them to actually stir their hearts and to get them back on track to doing the work that God had called them to do. The first admonition that he gave to the people by way of the Lord, of course, was this. Make God a priority. Make God a priority. You see, in the beginning of this whole journey, the Jewish remnant had returned to Jerusalem, and they had as their life's priority to do the work of God, to rebuild the temple. But as I shared with you, something happened. Perhaps they started making excuses. Boy, we've been working so hard. We just need a little break. Or maybe they said, you know, it's gotten pretty warm out. I think we need to stop this rebuilding of the temple. Or, or maybe they said, you know, just a couple of months off, and then we'll get back to it. Some historians say that actually what happened with those Jews that returned to Jerusalem was they got too comfortable. They had established new homes. They were doing well financially, and they just didn't want to return to the work. Others say that after the death of Cyrus, that actually had given the decree that they could go back and rebuild the temple, after he died, the political situation became very unstable, which was true. And that became a, perhaps a barrier to them doing the work. Or maybe as Ezra describes, the remnant got simply discouraged by the opposition they were receiving from the Samaritans and others in the area. For whatever reason, the work stopped. And maybe again, in their minds, it was only going to be for a few months. But a few months turned into 15, 16 years. And sadly, serving God wholeheartedly was no longer a priority for the returning Jews. 
And so Haggai challenged them, I believe, with three key things that we can see in this passage about making God a priority once again. So first of all, he challenged them to determine what was really important to them. What's really important to you? Well, look at verses 5 and 7 again. And it says there in those verses, a phrase, give careful thought to your ways. Twice, verse 5, verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. Literally in the Hebrew, it means set your heart on your ways. Don't just simply let it be a quick thought in your mind and let it go out one ear, out the other, but give a heartfelt attention to your ways. In other words, do some deep introspection. Look deep in your heart. Haggai is challenging the people to examine their lifestyles, to examine their actions, to evaluate what's really important to them. And it seems that what was really important to them was everything except for rebuilding the temple. Verse 4 talks about that, that they had paneled houses. Now, I have to be honest with you, in the Hebrew, it's hard to fully understand how to interpret that. But many people think that paneled houses actually refer to houses that have been nicely finished. So they had gone back to Jerusalem. When they first went back, they didn't have any homes to live in. They probably were living in tents. And as they settled in, then they began to make new homes. And these ho new homes were, were probably nicely finished homes. Or maybe they got caught up in producing crops. Part of God's judgment upon them was taking away some of their produce their special crops or maybe it was their finances or maybe it was just simply their personal comfort all of these became more important to them than God and his work but as Haggai reminded them their self-centeredness had not produced more things or greater satisfaction you see they had put other things before God and therefore God, by way of Haggai, told them that because of their misplaced priorities, they still were going to be lacking. Put all this time into your homes. Put all this time into producing crops. Put all this time into getting more money. And you're still going to lack. Let me read again verses 5 and 7. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Perhaps we need to pause this morning and ask ourselves the question, what's really important to me? What's really important to me? Second, as they were challenged to make God a priority, Haggai told them to listen to God's voice. Three times in our text, Haggai told them, this is what the Lord Almighty says. 
You see, Haggai was instructing the people that the message he was bringing to them was not his own message, but it came from the Lord himself. Folks, when a pastor or minister faithfully preaches God's word to drive home instruction or exhortation, he is not just simply delivering his own message. He is bringing the message of God to you. Now, I shared with you that I got to know Pastor Nathan through his ministry in Kentwood, and I know his heart. I know his heart for the truth. I know his heart for God's word, and I know how much he cares about you as a church, so much so that he puts his heart into the teaching and preaching of God's word. And folks, you are blessed to have that. Because not every church has that kind of pastor. Sometimes we get spoiled with good teaching. God has blessed my wife and I to be able to attend a church with Dr. Whitmer. I think he's probably been here and shared with you. He's my pastor. I get to hear great teaching. I get to be on the receiving end on Sundays. And I never count that as just, oh, so what? Thank God for bringing Pastor Nathan here. Because in this case, you have a pastor who very much wants to share God's message with you and wants to have God's word, God's teaching impact you and change you. So how often before the pastor teaches or preaches, do we ask God to help us to listen attentively? I want to ask you to raise your hand. Rhetorical question. All right. I mean, we get busy. I mean, it's just enough. Those of you with small children, you are just lucky to be able to get to church in one piece. I get that. All right. And, and we, we come to church and we got all kinds of things on our minds and we're busy. But how often do we think about those biblical truths that are going to be shared with us and ask God to open our hearts and our minds to that. We live in a world that is so noisy. We got TV, we got smartphones, we got tablets, we got computers, we got electronic gaming devices, we got headphones. And I think sometimes it's just difficult to listen to God's voice. And maybe we need that admonition from the Psalms that says what? Be still and know that I am God. I like those households that when they come together for supper, they got like a basket at the end of the table, and you know what everybody has to do? Put their cell phones in. I like that. I think that's a great idea. All right? That's free advice. Okay, you, It's not even in my outline. So... As Haggai then challenged his listeners to make God a priority, there's something else he gave to them, a third thing. And he challenged them to underscore the importance of honoring God again. Verses 7 and 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, build my house. So what? So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. The completion of the temple would not only bring God pleasure, but more importantly, it would bring him honor. One of the most important things that our God desires is honor 
and worship. And God deserves to be honored. And completing the temple would show to all the other nations and all the other people around how important God was to them. Folks, when you and I faithfully go to church, when we enthusiastically worship God, we are showing to a watching world that God is important to us, are we not? I grew up in a family of seven. We had those, that old station wagon with the wood panel on the side. Anybody remember those? Okay. Old station wagon, wood panel. The seven of us would pile into our station wagon on Sunday morning and Sunday night and go to church. And you know what? Our neighbors saw that. We'd get home from church, and even though they didn't go to church, and one of them would yell across the yard, How was church today? You know, and I wish I was thought quicker. I, I should have said, it was great. You ought to come and be part of it next week. You know, The world watches. They see what is important to us. So how much of a priority do we make the Lord in our life? That's the question. Well, second excerpt. How long do I, can I preach for? Do, I, I like you. Can I take you back with me? No, we're, we're, we're getting near the end. So there's a second admonition from Haggai that we find in our text, and it's this. Pay attention to God's correction. Pay attention to God's correction. Let me read verses 9 and 10 for you again. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. There's some correction. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, the earth its crops. See, God was bringing about some correction. God chastised them and in so doing, though he did give them a reason for it. It was their selfish neglect of rebuilding the temple that he had called them to do. God had to get their attention. And how did he do that? Through some correction. Through some trouble that he allowed to come into their lives. Now I want to be clear with you this morning. I don't believe that all the trouble we have that comes into our life is a result of God trying to get our attention through, through correction. But sometimes it might be. In recent years, there has been an emphasis upon God's grace and mercy, which I agree with 100%. But perhaps it has produced a de-emphasis on God's correction. Because we don't like to talk about God's judgment. We don't like to talk about God's holiness. We don't like to talk about God's correction because... That's at the opposite end of the spectrum to, to mercy and grace. But I think there are times when we need to, to prayerfully ask God, God, are you trying to get my attention? You know, this is going on in my life, and is there a sin that perhaps I need to forsake? Has my heart become apathetic or, or even hardened? You don't have to turn there, but as I was preparing this, I thought about 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You probably know the passage because it speaks about the Lord's Supper. 
And there in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul speaks of those who eat of the bread and drink of the cup in an unworthy manner. And in so doing, what did they do? They brought judgment upon themselves. And then Paul said this, and it's important. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. God's judgment came upon them. And then he said this in verse 32. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being, what, disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Folks, there are times in which God disciplines us. I had three boys. Do you think they ever needed discipline? For sure. <laughs> and so, friends, is there any trouble in your life that perhaps God is allowing so that you might listen to his voice. I think there's a great example of that even in the Old Testament when God brought correction upon Jonah and he was swallowed by that great fish. God brought that trouble in his life. Why? Because Jonah would not listen to God and he was disobeying. Now when Jonah finally listened, as we know from the story, that great fish coughed him up and he was able then to move ahead and serve and obey God. Well, our third admonition is this. Haggai exhorts them to obey God's word. Verse 7 says again, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. And then in verse 12 it says this, And the whole remnant of the Lord obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. I like that. I like it especially because it says what? The whole remnant obeyed. Not, not a quarter of the remnant, not half of the remnant. The whole remnant obeyed. You see, they recognized the words of Haggai as God's word, and consequently, it caused an effective change in their attitudes and in their actions. And what happened? The whole remnant obeyed. It's noteworthy to me to see how quickly the people responded in such an affirmative way to the message through Haggai. See, oftentimes this was not the case in the Bible with the children of Israel. You remember their journey out of Egypt? You know that oftentimes God would have to give his word, his message to them, he would give a, a promise, a conditional promise. They would obey it for a while, and then they would stop obeying it. And it seemed like God was continually having to tell them the same thing. But in this particular case, it says the whole remnant, after they heard the message from Haggai, they responded, and they began to obey. I thought about that for ourselves. How quickly... Do you and I respond to the message that God wants us to hear from his word? How soon does our obedience kick in? Folks, we need to move from just listening to the scriptures to heart-changing obedience. What would happen tonight? You go to bed, you put your head on your pillow, if you're like me, you might fall asleep in about five minutes.
All right, others of you might lay there for a while. But let's say you put your head on the pillow, you, you fall asleep, and all of a sudden you hear this audible voice. And very quickly you realize that this audible voice is not your spouse, it's not your kid crying from the other room, this voice is actually the voice of God. And you knew without a doubt that it was God speaking to you, and it was God giving to you a clear message. How would you and I respond? Would we say later, God? Would we simply just ignore it? Would we say, well, you know, God, I, I don't think that is something I can do. Uh, let, let Joe Smith do it. Is Wes Smith here? Let Wes Smith do it. You see... I think that most of us, when we realize that we're getting a message from God, we would listen and we would obey. Folks, we, we need to realize that God has continually given to you and I messages, messages from this book. And what is our reception going to be? Will we just simply listen or will we obey? Well, though we have focused on some admonitions and exhortations this morning, as we close, I'd like to share with you two what I believe are positive takeaways from this account. And the first one is this. I want you to note God's promise. In verse 13, God said, I am with you. I am with you. Because of their obedient response, God promised to be with the Jewish remnant as they move forward to rebuild the temple. No matter what the obstacles might be, no matter what opposition they might encounter, they could count on this. God would be with them. See, folks, God wants to be with you and I. He wants to have a vibrant and close relationship with us. And when we allow His Spirit to be present in our life and working in our life, when, when we say, you know, enough disobedience, enough apathy, I'm all in now for God. I want my heart to be stirred. God gives us this promise. I will be with you. He doesn't say life is going to be without problems or difficulty, but he does say this, I will be with you. And then I notice here the reaction of the people to God's promise. And so we note the people's response. What did they do? They moved and went to work. Verse 14 tells us, they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. I mean, this is a great ending. You see, they moved from, from apathy to activity. And I think it's important for us to note that their response was predicated by the stirring up of the Holy Spirit in their lives. A stirring up of their hearts, as verse 14 tells us. And this stirring of their spirit by God allowed them then to accomplish a great work for God. And they returned to rebuilding the temple. So I thought about this. 
I wonder what would happen in our churches if, if, if as a whole, all of our churches had this stirring up of our hearts. What would happen if, if each of us that were in the chairs or the pews or whatever listened to the Holy Spirit's prodding and allowed God to stir our hearts? Can I share with you a take-home? Some of you are all right with that. Okay. Even if you don't want me to, I will. All right. Here's, here's my take-home take for you. Haggai told the people this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Folks, what do you and I need to hear from God today? Because God wants to speak to us all the time. Sometimes we, we get this notion that, well, God only speaks on Sunday morning when I'm in church. Or God only speaks when I go to this special conference. Or, or maybe God might speak to me as I listen to a, a Christian song on the radio. No, God wants to speak to you and I on a regular basis. The problem is we, we tune them out. We aren't listening. So what does God want you to listen to today? Perhaps today is the day we listen to God's invitation and we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and give Him our life. Folks, that is the best listening you can do is to say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. I want you to come into my life today and to save me from my sins. Or perhaps today is the day in which we listen to God and we're going to examine our priorities and, and determine with God's help that we are going to put him and his kingdom first. Or perhaps today is the day we listen to God's correction. We know that there's some things in our life that need to change. We need to confess and make it right. And perhaps today, through listening to God, he creates a stirring in our heart. Can I pray with you as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads with me? And... Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your spirit that convicts and teaches us your truth. Lord, we know that there is an ongoing battle for our hearts but hopefully we have been convicted to examine our hearts this morning regarding any apathy or emptiness or hardness that might be present. So, Lord, we confess the sins of our heart, and we ask for your forgiveness, and we ask that you move us from just listening to heart-changing obedience. Father, in so doing, we receive your promise to be with us as we renew our heart, felt commitment to you. And we give thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Folks, I want to thank you very much for the privilege of being able to share with you at First Baptist this morning. It was a blessing for me to be with you today. Thank you.